0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the TM366 Basic Christian Doctrine Podcast. I found myself wondering whether or not anyone is actually listening to these. I realized it's possible that I'm recording this and putting it up online. Nobody's even paying attention. So I thought we might do a little something interactive today to get things started, just as a way for me to check and make sure that I'm not wasting my time here and that you're not on a path to self-destruction. So I've been listening to a lot more music as I'm sitting alone in various rooms in my house trying to get work done, and I came across an old playlist I put together on iTunes back when I was in college, uh, because that's what you did back in the early 2000s, is make iTunes playlists, and one of the playlists is called Apocalyptic, uh, which refers to end times sort of things. So I've got some good stuff on there, Smashing Pumpkins, a little Lupe Fiasco, shiny toy guns. All of these bands playing different songs that remind me of the end of the world, which a couple times during the last couple weeks seemed rather melodramatic, but also slightly on point. So I'm curious what you're listening to as you find yourself alone in your home, and as I'm looking for more music to listen to myself, So drop me a little email. Suggest some songs for me. Keep in mind I'm 35 and not the coolest person you've met, and yet I do actually listen to music. So uh, feel free to push my boundaries a little bit and try and make me a bit trendier. And then I'll know you're listening and alive. All right, with that little activity out of the way, let's start with the new content. Today we are going over Lesson 3.4 and looking at the doctrine of justification in Christ. This doctrine is actually one of the main points of disagreement between Protestants and Catholics. So we're starting to move into doctrines that are much more controversial. Remember when I introduced the doctrine of the Trinity, I said that virtually all Christian groups today would accept this, except for a few Pentecostal groups. When we moved to Christology, I said several larger groups, like Coptic Christians in Egypt, reject the doctrine of the hypostatic union. Now that we're here in justification later on in the class, we're getting to a doctrine that divides some of the largest Christian groups in the world from one another, which makes it a bit challenging for me to teach it to you, because the doctrine is complicated from all different perspectives, and each perspective has a very distinctive view. So, What I've chosen to do is focus on the Protestant doctrine of justification. The reason for this is that Sterling is historically a Protestant school in an official way, And even though it has disassociated from a Protestant denomination, the vast majority of faculty uh, and everybody in the theology and ministry department is still Protestant. Beyond that, the vast majority of the student body is also Protestant. Yet I recognize that some of you are not. A few of you I know specifically, and others of you, I don't know your religious persuasion, but you might be Catholic as well while I will start by talking about the Protestant views, before we're done today, we'll turn to get the Roman Catholic perspective. All right, if you're following along on your PowerPoint, slides six, sorry slides five through seven have a few statements that I usually spend the class uh, beginning with. These are statements from a survey put on by Lifeway to analyze the religious beliefs of Americans. And in this survey, uh, LifeWay just asks random people that they call up to say whether they agree with the statement, disagree with the statement, or are not sure. I've found that the class discussing these statements has been one of the most effective conversation starters of all the lessons in class. So it's a bit unfortunate that here I am recording a podcast instead. But if you're trying to find out dinner table conversation that does not involve things like viruses and economic downturns and quarantine, you might bring these statements up at dinner with your friends and family and see their opinions on the statement. It can help you articulate your own beliefs and try and put forward some reasons for why you believe what you do. So if you're doing that, you may want to stop this podcast until the meal is over and come back. Otherwise, we're going to go ahead and press on by introducing the Protestant view of justification. So again, if you're following along, this is slide number eight. Protestants, so those Christians who were protesting against the Catholic Church and split off from that church, Protestant theology can be characterized by five solas. So sola in Latin means only. And I know it's kind of ironic that there are five onlys instead of one only, but the reason for this is that each only applies in a slightly different manner. So we've already encountered the Protestant idea of sola scriptura, or scripture alone. For each of these, by the way, you can learn the Latin or the English and be all right for any exam that we have in the course. Sola Scriptura was the idea that when scripture and another source of evidence for theology, such as reason or evidence or reason or experience or tradition, whenever the Bible contradicts with one of these three, it's the Bible that has the last word. Our reasoning must have gone astray. Our experiences must be wrong, for example. So, Sola Scriptura is an important Protestant perspective but it doesn't relate as clearly to the doctrine of justification. The fifth doctrine is that of soli deo gloria, which is the idea that everything that God does is for the glory of God alone. Important historically, but again, not as significant for the doctrine of justification. Therefore, today we will focus on three other solas, or onlys, as central to Protestant understandings of justification. There is sola fide, which means faith alone, sola gratia, which means grace alone, and solus Christus, which means Christ alone. The doctrine of justification asks how it is that we receive the status of being saved, forgiven, and accepted by God. In other words, how are we viewed as just The Protestant answer to this doctrine of justification is basically found in these three solas. Sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, and solas Christus, Christ alone. And i like to explain how these solas um, were used by Protestants in their explanation of justification with kind of a weird example. But if you'll humor me, we'll just run with it. Now, let's suppose that I'm really wanting a little bit more nightlife in Sterling. And so I decide to go to that nightclub that's hidden underneath the Sonic. I know it might be a surprise to you. You may not know it's there. Welcome to the big leagues. So I show up. The bouncers say, you know, there's no way you're getting in here. You're a theology professor. Uh, Not going to happen. Well, about that time, Arnell walks by. And I see the bouncers are going to let him right in because Arnell, right? So what do I do? I pull out some handcuffs and I put one part on Arnell and the other part on me. And then I say, ha, what's up now, bouncers? If you're going to let him in, I have to go in too. So first of all, Arnell's probably thinking, this guy is creepy. What is he doing handcuffing himself to me? We'll come back to that. But when Protestants say that it is faith alone... That justifies us, they mean the only reason why we receive a status of being forgiven and being just is because we have faith. Now, what do they mean by that faith? They don't mean that it's a quality. You have to go out and work really hard to have a strong enough faith or a good enough faith. They just mean that faith is something that will connect you to Christ through union so much like these handcuffs, I've put this handcuff where it's on me and it's on Arnell, and therefore I'm linked to him and I now have the status of good enough to get into the club. The handcuff is the faith. It's just the connection between me and the person who's actually good enough to get in. In the case of nightlife, that's Arnell. In the case of salvation, that's our Lord Jesus Christ. But we have to ask the question, why is that handcuff a sufficient connection why is faith enough for me connected to Christ to be connected to Christ here protestants explain with the concept of sola gratia grace alone now, let's imagine that arnell has this experience most friday nights somebody trying to cuff themselves to him so they can get into the club with his exclusive access and so he's learned and has brought along some bolt cutters Now with those bolt cutters he could instantly remove the handcuffs so that we were no longer attached but for some reason not because i'm cool i'm actually kind of creepy here handcuffing myself to him for some reason out of the goodness of arnell's heart he decides that he is not going to cut that connection so why did the handcuff trick work not because i was brilliant lots of people have tried it before not because I was a particularly good dancer, so Arnell decided to let me in, but because of the grace of Arnell and not cutting that connection. When Protestants explain justification, they mean something similar. Why is it that God allows faith to be enough for us to be saved? It's not that God needs faith, it's not that He's impressed with our faith. It's simply that he is gracious enough to say, you know what, if you believe I will count that as a good enough connection, that's sufficient for me. Okay, so I'm not good enough to get into the club on my own. I'm not uh, very impressive when it comes to the bouncers. We can ask the question, why would they let me in at all? It might be that I'm so bad that when I cuff myself to Arnell, rather than me getting in, Arnell is now kept out. Sorry, man, you're attached to a weird guy we weren't gonna let in who's now even more creepy with this whole handcuff thing. In order for this connection to work, the person that you are joined to must be adequately good for them to be able to get you in. And here, Protestants say the only one who is good enough for such a connection to work is Christ. Christ alone was without sin. Christ alone is the one who has paid a sufficient payment to the Father in order to receive a reward not only for himself, but for all who believe. So here, think back to Anselm and the satisfaction theory of atonement. Christ alone is the reason why this connection of faith allows me to be saved, because he is good enough that when I, through faith, am joined to his status, that I am also viewed as sufficiently good on my own. So there you have it, the Protestant doctrine of justification in a nutshell. Only faith is needed to connect me to Christ. Faith only counts as enough by the grace of God. And only Christ's goodness and merit earns salvation. I do nothing to earn it on my own. This doctrine of justification particularly emerged in this form with the writings of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was one of the key figures in the Protestant Reformation. Perhaps you've heard of him famously nailing 95 theses on the church door of Wittenberg in which he objected to certain Catholic theological practices. Many history classes, even at a high school level, will point to this as the decisive starting point Of the Protestant Reformation. Well, if you wanted to read a historical text that summarized this Protestant view of justification in a nutshell, you couldn't find a better text than Martin Luther's sermon, Two Kinds of Righteousness. And I have on slide number nine there the full bibliographic information for that. Typically, I'd say if you want to find it, you can go get it in maybe library. It might be on the ebrary but you have a bit of a harder time accessing physical books right now. So if you want to give it a read, send me an email and I'll send you a scanned copy of it as I have it in my personal library. So here on slide nine, there's another exercise that I would encourage you to take a look at. I have three different quotes here and each quote has one or more of those key solas in it. Christ alone, faith alone, and grace alone. You might take some time to see if you can identify which statement is drawing on which sola. For now, though, I'm going to move on. Let's think about how this doctrine of justification applies to our understanding of salvation by looking at some of these statements from LifeWay. So in LifeWay's polling, they gave the statement, by the good that I do, I partly contribute to earning my place in heaven. We could ask, what would Luther or what would Protestants say about this statement? Officially, they would reject it, I believe, because it violates all three of the solas. And I want to show you the places in scripture where Protestants would turn in order to try and explain their position. Now, this is a very complicated debate. If you want to know it in detail, you can take a Historical Theology 2 course with me where I spend two and a half weeks looking at these complex debates between Catholics and Protestants. So I know that many of these passages could be debated. But for now, this is just an overview to help you understand where Protestants are coming from. So why don't I earn my place in heaven? Protestants would say this violates Solus Christus. Look at Hebrews 7 where we're told that Christ sacrificed for sin once and for all. They interpret this to mean that once he has died and paid the price, nobody else needs to do anything. They would say this statement violates sola fide. I can't earn my place in heaven. Because as Paul says in Romans 3, 28, a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. In other words, it is faith without needing any works that makes us justified. Finally, the idea that I earn my place in heaven, I contribute to that, violates sola gratia, grace alone. Romans 11.35 reads, Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? God already has everything he needs, and everything that I have is already from God and belongs to God. So as we talked about with the satisfaction theory, I can't pay God that I should then earn a reward. Therefore, Protestants would reject this position. Again, remember to pay attention to the format of questions in this class. If I were to ask you on a test if Protestants would accept this statement, the correct answer is no, based on the official teaching of various Protestant churches. If I asked you what you believe like I suggested you discuss with your family over the dinner table, then you're welcome to say whatever position that you hold. You accept this statement or not. So keep that in mind. Let's look at one more statement. An individual must contribute his or her own effort for personal salvation. Lifeway asked, do you agree, disagree, or not sure on this statement? And actually, for both of these statements, a large number of Americans agreed. And some who disagreed did so because they don't believe there's a God or such a thing as salvation. Anyway, setting that aside, an individual must contribute his or her own effort for personal salvation. Protestants like Luther would reject this. They would say that it violates the idea of faith alone and of grace alone. And a key passage they typically point to here is Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is not from yourselves. That statement, Protestants understand the this to refer back to faith. In other words, when I believe, ultimately... Even this belief is more properly counted as God's work than my own. You might think back to our discussion of providence earlier in the semester, where we introduced the idea of monergism, the idea that there is only one person who works in salvation, and that person is God. Protestants like Luther and Calvin would point to this passage to defend that view. So, to fix our analogy there, it's not so much that I latched on handcuffs to Arnell, but rather that Arnell pulled out the handcuffs when he saw I couldn't get in and connected himself to me and said, If you want me in your club, Butner comes along too. So, my hero. That's what is really happening, Protestants say in salvation. Faith is something that God gives to me rather than something that I do to connect myself to God. An individual must contribute his or her own effort for personal salvation. That statement, Protestants would say, also violates the idea of solus Christus, Christ alone. They might point to Hebrews 10.10. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ once and for all. His sacrifice is the one that makes us holy and just, not our own work. That's most of the Protestant view. If you're following along, a final slide slide 13 gives us a little bit more information on why Protestants and Catholics disagree with one another. I have three columns here showing you some slight disagreements between Calvinists and Arminians. For time's sake on a podcast, I'm just going to boil things down to Roman Catholics and Protestants as a whole, leaving aside a few Arminian arguments. Whereas Protestants, emphasize faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone, historically, the Roman Catholic Church at the Council of Trent denied that faith alone would save us. The reason for this is that they they believed, they argued, they understood that faith must have love and repentance with it. Without these things, they did not think faith was a high enough quality in order to save us. So faith is not just a link there, like the handcuffs. Faith actually comes in varying degrees. And a good enough faith is necessary for full justification. Second, and this is the biggest debate here, Protestants understand justification as involving an alien righteousness, to use Luther's words. By alien, I mean something that comes from somewhere else. So aliens come from outer space, down to earth. The righteousness that I have comes from Christ and is foreign to me, Protestants say. And they often use the language of imputation. This is a vocabulary word you'll probably need to know for the exam. Imputation is giving someone a status or title that is not rightly theirs. So let's say I said, I'm tired of teaching, Emily, take over. Suddenly, Emily has the title of being the honorary professor of the course. Now, is there anything in her that would make her naturally a professor? Maybe she has some interest and some normal talent, but she doesn't have a Ph.D. She doesn't have a contract with the school. She doesn't have a salary, therefore. She doesn't have the title of professor. She doesn't even have access to upload the correct things to Canvas, So there's nothing in Emily that would make her the obvious choice for a professor. If I gave her this status anyway, then I have imputed that status to her. Now, Calvinists and Lutherans say that's what justification is. You are given a status of being innocent and forgiven and righteous that is completely untrue. It doesn't fit your actual condition. It's graciously bestowed upon you. The Roman Catholic Church, on the other hand, understood the righteousness that was given to be something that is infused. Another key vocabulary word. Infused righteousness refers to something that is put into us that actually changes us. So here you might think of a medical infusion, where a syringe might insert a medicine into our body that changes us. At Trent, Roman Catholics understood justification to involve an infusion of righteousness, which means not only do we have a title that is not rightly ours, but rather, or instead of this, I shouldn't have said not only, instead of this, we are given something that actually makes it so that we are truly righteous. Now, because of this, Calvinists and Lutherans and other Protestants tend to say that there is no progress in justification. Somebody who has been saved for a day and somebody who has been saved for a hundred years are both equally justified. You either have the status of forgiven or you don't. Catholics tend to view justification as something that progresses. You can start and be a little bit justified, but as more righteousness is infused to you, and therefore as you do more good works on your own, um, or I should say with the help of God, your justification increases. Some are more justified than others. That's the tip of the iceberg, but it explains the debate between Catholics and Protestants. I should note that there are some signs that agreement might be coming. The Lutheran Church and the Roman Catholic Church sent representatives to a dialogue, and at this dialogue they developed something called the Joint Declaration of the Doctrine of Justification. And in this document, Lutheran and Catholic theologians came to an agreement about what justification is, and that agreement doesn't quite look like either view I've taught you here. It's an important agreement that leads toward church unity, however, most Lutherans and most most Catholics still rejected that document. So things are more complicated than I've shared, but this is plenty complicated for the purposes of an undergraduate general survey course. If you have questions, feel free to send me an email or I look forward to interacting with you in our weekly GroupMe or Zoom conferences. But until then, I wish you all the best and look forward to getting your music recommendations. Be well.